Well, if you guys have looked ahead this week, which you uh, pretty well know what text we're going to be on if you were here last week, and uh, we come to a section, I was just mentioning there that uh, this is probably not a text that I would just pick just to be picking if we weren't in an expository, uh, because this is um, a text that will you'll probably say, he must know what I'm thinking, he must know what I did this morning, he's picking on me, how did he know that? Or, I know he knew that, and so he's getting at me. Well, I'll, I will tell you. If we're paying attention to the Word of God and the, and the Spirit of God this morning, as, as we probably did last week, uh, we will realize that the Lord uh, is convicting us. And um, it's not my job to find out every little detail on each one of us. As I work through this text, and Philippians is pretty tough, you notice that? As I work on this text... Uh, believe me, it's hard for me to deal with as I study on it all week and uh, get convicted all week as we get ready to present this. But um, anyway, it's turning grumbling into joy is what we're calling this. And uh, we definitely like that last word better than the grumbling, don't we? Uh, we live in a culture that is not content. And this culture is a complaining culture. This culture uh, is used to having things and things right now. So we can uh, pretty well get what we want when we want to get it. I mean, if it's doable at all. But yet, you noticed that a lot of times we're still not satisfied. It lasts for a while, but the newness rubs off, and then then we're looking for something else. How many times have you bought something, and I'm going to say like a, let's say a CD. You bought a CD, you put it in the car, you know, or at home, whatever, and you listen to it, and you listen to it, and you listen over and over and over. You might even do it 12, 15, 20 times. You just keep playing it. And all of a sudden, one day, it's like, nah. And then you shelve it, and it's underneath everything else, and you, you forget about it. And it could be, let's say, months later. It could be years later. And you find that CD. You put it in there, and you go, ooh, oh, that sounds real good. Nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying, isn't it interesting that we're always looking for something different. We pop in other CDs. No, we go to the store and buy other CDs. If you're not into buying CDs, then let's say uh, books or things for the house, this and that. Not trying to convict you right off the bat here, but I'm just saying um, we have so many things and we really get tired of them uh, eventually. And they're not new anymore and uh, we're not content about that, so we have to get something else. Now, I think that's a sad commentary on the culture uh, of where we live in today, but that's just the way it is. That is our society. That is our nation. And that's not the way it is everywhere uh, across uh, this world. But uh, you would have to say we are a consumer-driven society, and that's what makes business go. That's good. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are never satisfied. Of course, there's... uh, that song back in the 60s, you know, can't get no satisfaction, right? Well, that's right. That's coming from the world's view. They can't. They can't get any satisfaction no matter what they get next. And then they get that and then they're ready for something else. And that's why people go into drugs and then they go into uh, uh, harder drugs and then even more harder drugs. That's, that's why they do that. You know, they just can't get enough. They're not satisfied. Well, the thing is, I think we are babies. And if we don't get what we want, when we want, what do we do? We cry about it. We moan and complain. Uh, we groan. We gripe. You know, we're always griping and complaining and we murmur. 
Well, this sounds too convicting already. Dennis, you're supposed to wait at least until uh, you're halfway through or near the end to put the punch to it. And it's like, um, we haven't even gotten into the text yet. That, that's terrible to be convicted already. And, and we're sitting here thinking, hey, what, what does the text say? We haven't read it. Well, you thought last week was tough enough? This is even harder this week. And I see a couple of three back there going and they're leaving. <laughs> the last week was hard enough, right? Now. Go for we, it. <laughs> go for it. Right? Uh, and, and if you think I'm picking on you, you're wrong. I'm picking on me and everybody else. We're all here. We're all good. But we dealt with this passage about working out our salvation. Not working for, but working out the salvation that what the Lord has put into us. He's put us, each one of us, He's given us works in our lives that we're going to be doing. It's a sanctification passage. Like that sanctification, doctrinal term, right? Everybody understands it, right? Uh, but it's a matter of obedience. This is getting into the real thing. Yeah, I believe the Bible. Yeah, I believe Jesus Christ. Yes, I believe in the Trinity. Yes, I believe all the great doctrines. I believe in heaven. I believe in hell. I believe in the authority of the Scriptures. On and on and on and on. And here's the next question. Yeah, but do you do the Scriptures? Uh, in, the, in the catechism uh, that we just did earlier, you know, about the, here's what the Scripture's about. To learn who God is and... and Actually, if when you learn who He is, then you learn that you are empowered to do the things that He commands you to do. You can do these things. There can be changes. You know, we always have to change, right? That's what we talk about all the time. It's about His will. Oh, we sang about that this morning, didn't we? Trust and obey, and and then uh, uh, the song that's dealing with uh, about we want His will and not ours, and uh, His good pleasure. So we ended last week with just doing two verses, and and that's where we meant to end. There was no way we were going to get past 13. We did verse 12 and verse 13. Now, when we see that, he's talking about obedience and working out salvation with fear and trembling, and realizing, but it's God who's working in us so that we can do that. And it's for His will, it's for His good pleasure, it's so that we can please Him. Now, we finished there, but it's too bad that we couldn't have got into 14 because as he says these things, and as we would back up and say we're not to be full of self-conceit and we are to treat each other more highly than we treat ourselves, which sounds impossible, but that's, that's the calling of Christ. All of those things, and, and so going all the way back to the first part of chapter 2 and even before that, uh, now he says, do all things without grumbling. You know, uh, how about that humility of mind, uh, treating others more important than yourselves and not looking for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And people say, okay, all right, I believe it. God says it here. I'm going to do it. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to tell you about that. You know, you know, all of a sudden we start complaining and murmuring. And uh, guess what? This is why he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. That is everything. Everything in your life. It says all things, right? So, we haven't gotten into the text yet. But as we do that, Paul is talking about how our obedience and our sanctification play into God's great purpose for our lives. Your circumstances that you're in, God's purpose is going to be worked out in that. 
Paul is telling us that God wants us to obey from the heart in the community, in the the body of Christ, and in doing so, you will experience the fullness of joy. Remember Philippians? Three letters that constantly keeps coming up. Joy. Let's stand and uh, let's read... We have a privilege of reading God's Word. Did you, do you know what we just said? We have a privilege of reading God's Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us so that we would know what He is about and what He wants us to do. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Father, You are the great God. And You have given us Scripture here. You are speaking to us today through Your Word, through Your Spirit. Help us to be like Your Son, Jesus Christ, by this Word bearing on our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things, what's all things? Well, here that's just remarkable because there are some times that we feel that we have the grounds and, and we're warranted and we're legitimate in our moaning and groaning and complaining. It's legitimate to do that. I have the right to do this because this is what happened. <laughs> Paul is saying you shouldn't complain. I want you to do everything. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's the worst thing that's against you. And remember, where's Paul at when he's writing all this? Paul's in prison. Keep all that in context. Isn't it great when you go through a book and you say, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. You think of the circumstances and all this is and who he's writing to and what this is about and who he is and where he's at. And you go, wow, he's not complaining, is he? He's content. He's content at this. As you work out your salvation... And, and that's where we were at last week, right? As you work that out, as you're you're moving towards heaven. I mean, you know, being in the very presence of God. You know, the only noise that we really should be making is praise to our great God, rather than the other stuff. That's what it's about. Not complaining. As we work our salvation, do it without grumbling. He said, but you don't know my circumstance. I don't want to know it. I don't really care. I have have enough problems with my own. But no matter what, and this is one thing I can say, we never have an excuse to complain. Do you understand that? (laughs) Do all things, Paul says. Wow. The all things are the situations. These are things that God is using and things that He has planned for our lives and we're to have an attitude of gratefulness that pervades our everyday lives. Every day. Right? Every day. No matter the all... You know, it's the all things. I don't care what those all things are. I don't care what they are. 
No matter whether we have much or have very little, it doesn't matter. It says, do all things without moaning and groaning and complaining. Now, that word uh, for grumbling, it's an onomatopoeia word. Would you like that? I don't know if you guys ever remember that back in the, was it the 70s or 60s there. <laughs> onomatopoeia, there was a song called that. Um, interesting. Uh, this is a word that sounds like what it's describing. That's what onomatopoeia is. You remember studying that school, don't you? Back in the third grade, fifth grade, who knows? I'm sure you all remember that, but it simply sounds like that. It's like uh, when you take, uh, well, I'll take the Greek word for this. It's kind of interesting. Gongusmos. Gong, 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 gong. Uh, you take uh, the the word gong in English, right? Gong. That's ex- kind of what it is. You know, you hit a you hit a gong. We don't have any gongs here. Bob's where's the where's the gong this week? <laughs> Remember that game show, the gong gong show? Is that what it's called? Gong. That's that's, that's what it sounds like. Okay, let's move on. Um, a big old clank. In in this in this sense, it's the guttural murmuring. Um, people make this sound when they're complaining. Or, or, or uh, in the cartoons, you go. A A R G H. You know, we're saying things under our breath. What'd you say? You know, don't even really maybe necessarily say words. Well, the Old Testament. He said, I don't understand that, Dennis. You're speaking a different language. Uh, let's go to the Old Testament, and we're going to go through several scriptures to show uh, how natural this is to do. It is so natural, it goes to the base nature of man. And you know what? I have come to this conclusion this week. This is one of the worst things that you can absolutely do, and it's one of the things that we probably all are guilty of doing. That's why I say, this Christian life is a difficult life, but we are empowered to defeat it. Let's quit sinning. <laughs> um, well, we'll probably, well, we will sin until Christ comes back. Well, we don't really have an excuse, though. Uh, let's look at the, these passages. Let's start back in Genesis 3.12. That's a good place to start, right? Genesis 3. Uh, this is where the first sin happens. Sin has already happened. And um, look what happens as a result of, of a sinful nature. And, and this is produced by everyone who is ever born. Now, uh, the woman, this is the man Adam, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. What's he doing? He's blaming, not himself, he's not taking responsibility, he's shifting it over to his wife. Well, yeah, it's true, but he didn't give the whole thing. No, she, he knew what he was supposed to do and what not to do, right? He's complaining, and it's the one you gave to me. He's complaining right in the face of God. Now, that may sound pretty innocent and almost funny, isn't it? It's not. We don't realize how holy God is. And we don't realize how sinful sin is. We don't, we're coming to that more and more each day as we're being shaped. And the more and more you become like Christ, the more and more you seem like you're less than, than what you should be. You ever notice that? Chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. It uh, continues on as the world is moving on. You have Cain. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. 
Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I'll be hidden, and I'll be a vagrant, and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Complain, complain, complain. God already told him what he could do. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. We know the result of it. Uh, Exodus 5, in verse 22 and 23. And this is Moses, I believe. Moses, come on. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Complain, complain. Ever since this has happened, look what's happened. Look at this. Look what's happened to the people. Let's go to the book of Jonah. Oh, remember that little prophecy book? Jonah. Remember Jonah as he was to take the good news to the lost people of Nineveh? And Jonah didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do it. And then he wound up doing it. And then after he did it, he still regretted what he had to do. You know what I mean, right? Well... When, when he did that, of course, he had a little tree and um, God actually then took the tree from him, his little shade that he had. Remember that? 9 and 10, then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Do you have any good reason? And he said, I have good reason to be angry even to death. This is a, this is a man speaking to God like this. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and left hand as well as many animals? He said, I had compassion on these 120,000 people. You had more compassion on your little plant. Complain, complain. Jonah, look what God is doing. It wasn't about God, it was about Jonah. (laughs) But God used him, didn't He? Uh, God will use you no matter what. Numbers 14, 36. Numbers 14, 36. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land. So the people started grumbling when they heard the report that shouldn't have been brought like that in the first place. Now we go to Exodus chapter 14. We go backwards. I don't have all these in order when we go forwards. Because it's a Bible drill this morning. Is that okay? Can we do a Bible drill? Exodus, grumble, grumble. I don't know, he's taking ten minutes. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Exodus 14, now, verse 11. Let's pick it up in verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Okay, there go the Israelites, but... Oh, there comes the Egyptians. Where'd they come from? They became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Good. What'd they cry about? Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Where's your faith? 
Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? You just brought us out here to die. That's what God is really doing and you're doing. Go to chapter 15. Oh, you like this. Next chapter. Now, God delivers them. A song is written. They're praising God because they have done it. What a mighty work He's done. A miracle is happening at the Red Sea. And then in the same chapter that Moses writes here shortly afterward in verse 22, get this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. What a great miracle. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And that's asking a lot. Three days, no water, in the wilderness. When they came to Marah, we know what that word means, bitter, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. <laughs> bitter. Oh, wow. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Isn't that great? Three days, no water. Then they come to this stream and say, oh, okay, God's playing with us because look at this, this is bitter water. They complain. Then he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and threw it in the waters and the waters became sweet. See, uh, they forget about God has our best interest in mind even though we have the timing in mind and God always has the timing. We want to rush God, don't we? <laughs> Oh my. Chapter, um, look at verse 27. Same chapter, guys. Chapter 15, verse 27. Look at at the good things that he does here. Then they came to Edom, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. You know what? Nice place. Oasis kind of thing here going on. Twelve springs of waters out in the middle of the desert. Seventy date palms. This is a beautiful place. A nice place to rest. And you know what? God does that sometimes. He gives us a nice place to rest. We have comfort because He's preparing us for the next part of the journey. This is a good picture. But they're camping there. All is well. They're probably praising God now. And we go into chapter 16, verse 1. Then they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. That right there tells you, uh uh-oh, we're in the trouble which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Look what he's done for them. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat where we ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Don't they know what He's done with all the plagues, the deliverance of the Red Sea, giving them water? Don't they know what He has done? Look at His doing His work. Look at it in the past. If you can't see the future and you can't, just say, okay, here's what He's promised. Here's what He's done. I'm going to bank on that no matter what I see and feel. I'm going to bank on what He has done and who He is. It's all based on Him. Is this practical stuff? <laughs> Exodus 17, 1 through 3. Oh, I'm making it easy on me. Here we go again. Boy, is He testing them or what? Yeah, He is. 
Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord and camped at Rephidim and there was no water for the people to drink. Sound familiar? Therefore, we already know what the therefore is. You don't have to read, right? The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Is that what it's about? Don't they know? What God has done, they're complaining against Moses because he's the one who's leader and he's representing God here. He's kind of like their priest. Let's go back, uh, Exodus, Leviticus. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. He said, This is enough. And I just kept on going. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity. You ever had adversity? They complain like people in adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Ah, yeah. You know, God is really patient. He is patient. He is patient. He is patient. He's more patient than any human being could ever be patient. Yes, that's an attribute of His. But He's also a God of justice. And He must meet the demand of His holy requirement of the law. And they've been disobeying Him. Now they're complaining here again. And um, He says, okay. Alright. Look in verse 4. The rabbi, uh, the rabble who were among them had greedy desires and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Imagine a congregation of two million eating onions and garlic and breathing behind you. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Okay, see the complaining? Uh, God gave them manna. He gave them everything they needed. Gracious. He's so gracious. Chapter 14, verse 27. Wow, we're going to hang out in, in the Old Testament today, Dennis? The Lord spoke to Moses, verse 26, Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this? Look at this. Look what God's saying. Evil congregation. You know, God's people are not evil. Did you know that? But this congregation as a whole is, is evil. Why? Because they've been grumbling. He says it right here. Who are grumbling against me. That's why I said this is one of the worst sins you can have. Because it's about me. Me, me, me. I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel which they are making against me. I know what they're doing. I know full well. Say them as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have what? Grumbled against me. Are we getting the picture? How serious? It's not something to joke about now, is it? How serious is grumbling to the Lord? 
It's serious enough to lay out the whole nation of Israel and none of those that are over the age of 20 are going into the promised land. And we know Moses is not even going to go in because of a little bit of his show of anger. Interesting. Joshua and Caleb did. The children of these and the 20 and less went on in. But these people were strung out. And you look in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 and you find out that they all, none of them made it because of unbelief. As a whole, that whole nation was unbelieving. They were not believers. They complained against God. They, they were not thankful. In Romans 1 it says, here's the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. It's thankfulness. Unbelievers don't give thanks to God. We can give thanks to God on the good things, but can, can we give thanks to God for where He's put us now that we're learning from Him? Wow. Okay, number 1641. We're not done yet. <laughs> you said, Isn't that enough? 16, 1641. As this goes on. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron saying, You are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. Mm. They're ready to get Moses and Aaron now, aren't they? I want you to look at Psalm 106. Now we get out of the Pentateuch. Go to the Psalms. God has a lot to say about this. Folks, as I looked at this week, I go, wow. He really does take this seriously, doesn't He? Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe in His Word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore He swore to them that He would cast them down in the wilderness. And He'd cast their seed among the nations and scattered them. They would be judged eventually. The children's children and on. He judged the nation of Israel. They were complainers. They grumbled. They grumbled. That's what they did. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now we go back to a little bit of commentary on this as Paul is reprimanding the Corinthians and also encouraging them to um, follow the instructions of God. And by the way, you can look back to the Old Testament, Paul says, and those stories are meant for you right now. Verse 8. We'll pick it up there. Um, Nor let us act immorally as some of them... Don't be like the Israelites, he's saying as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, test the Lord, as some of them did, Israelites, and were destroyed by the serpents. Verse 10, look at this. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11 is the key. Here's why the Old Testament is so valuable to us and why we need to read and study the Old Testament. Now, these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. 
Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, the ones who, hey, I've got it together though. Look at me. I'm okay. I'm cool. I, I finally got rid of that kind of stuff and I'm okay now. He says, hey, take heed that he, he, he who thinks he stands, uh, take heed that he does not fall. Whew. Okay. Now, if he can say, oh, verses, I can't remember all those verses, but I understand there's complaining. Well, here's the key verse I want you to remember. I want you to remember this verse, and it goes back to Lamentations. And if you can turn back to Jeremiah, then you can find Lamentations. It's right after Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, and he is lamenting as he writes Lamentations. Lamentations 3.39, I think, is very instructive to us, and this explains... This whole idea of complaining. You guys ready? This is a good one to memorize today. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Let's read that again. I want this to be indelibly put into your brain for today and tomorrow and forever. Why should any living mortal, any man, Offer complaint in view of these sins. In view of our sins. What right do we have to complain against the Lord? We don't have any rights whatsoever. But you don't know my situation, Dennis. You don't know. No, I don't. And to be honest with you, the Lord knows and He doesn't care. Here's what He cares about. That you don't complain. Because we are sinners. We sin against God even in the position that we have been placed. And because of our sins, we can say, I don't deserve anything. What right do I have to complain? Nothing. I never, 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 ever, never. I can say that 100% and be right. I cannot ever complain. Wow. Lord, you're asking a little bit too much here. You see the examples in the Old Testament? Do you see how the Lord took this so seriously that He killed people for complaining. And I wouldn't doubt today that there are people, Christians even, being taken out because they're complaining against God. Be careful. Be careful when we complain. Because we're complaining really about what God is doing. Now, that was Old Testament stuff. You can say, yeah, I don't have to worry about that. The leeks and onions and all that. I don't even like those. <laughs> Meat, I can do without. You know, you can go on and on. You say, water, water. Well, you know, um, I have a lot of juices and stuff around the house though. Okay, here's a few of examples in our times. Here's what we do. And I'll bring out the first obvious one. Traffic jams are incredible how they work on us. Oh, the hostility, the anger that we can have in that car and nobody ever knows. Oh, we're complaining. There's a slow driver in front of us. What are they doing? They're getting my way. Alright, they're in front of you because they're just there. Maybe the Lord brought that slow person in front of No, they they pulled out in front of you and they started zigzagging and all of a sudden then they just slowed down and and there's a guy over in the left lane you can't even get past over there. And you know what? You just about lose your sanctification. (laughs) We don't lose salvation, but we can lose our sanctification, right? Freeway cutters. Oh man, that's, that's the people that really test me. 
They cut in front of me. How about talkative people? Talk, they, just, talk, 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 talk. They, they irritate me. I can't stand. How about long lines? Oh, none of us. None of us like those long lines. He said, won't they open up the next lane down there? Look at that. We got, we got four people in this line, and they should be taking that over there. Guilty. Can not tell you about this? I know. Short lines. Short lines. I can't ever make a decision on which to go. Let's see, if I go over there, it seems like that one's quicker. But there's more people in it, but it seems to be moving quicker. And you go over there, and guess what? And you look at the other line, and what happens? Oh, that guy that was just, he's already through there, and he's behind me. Now we're complaining about that. Oh, man. You want it your way. How about crying babies? Babies cry. That's, that's their nature. But we don't like crying babies. And so that, that drives us crazy. But crying babies are going to do that. Well, the thing is, you know what it causes in our culture? And this is sad. It causes child abuse. And I'm hearing almost every week, if not every day, on the news and local news where somebody has killed their baby or harmed them. Terrible abuse. Whether it be in the bathtub or... Uh, putting blankets over them, or what you hear of this constantly. You guys know what I'm talking about. This is unbelievable in our culture. I, you know, it says in the in those last days that parents and children, and all the family, will not have even a natural love for each other. And that's what I, I I didn't used to hear this this much. Really, you would never ever hear about parents killing children and children killing parents. That was highly unusual. And say, see, we still have the same sin nature, but sin is being exposed in our times like it never has been before, folks. So we just can't just write it off and say, well, that's just the nature of man, and he's always done that. No, uh, I don't think we've heard it as much as we have lately. It's a constant thing. What, what's going on? Uh, phone calls at inappropriate times. Oh, um, why did it come? What, what's this? I got things to do. Misplaced keys. Oh, what the trauma can do with that. We lose our car keys. What am I going to do? Oh, no. No, we lose it. Non-house broken puppies. Oh, the disaster they can cause. Oh, we get distressed by the biggies, don't we? Don't, don't we really get... Oh, man, we are stressed out. How about stuck zippers? And you're in the car and you're driving and you're halfway there and you got this stuck zipper. What am I doing when I get it? Cold food. The food has gotten cold. Oh, we, we not only want what we want, but we want the temperature to be perfect all the time. How about somebody interrupting your conversation? Oh, I'm not going to put up with that. Oh, noisy neighbors. Noisy neighbors. Uh, I know. How about incompetent people around you? Squeaking doors. What about that? It'll drive you crazy. Flat tires when you have to be at a place and you're in a hurry. How about people balancing a checkbook? Yeah. Mother-in-laws. Weeds. High prices. Gasoline. High prices. Those generate hostility. We just murmur and complain about everything. Conflict. Conflict with another person. Conflict with my family. Conflict with my neighbors. Conflict with people at work. I just can't stand that. We complain about all these things. Isn't it ridiculous? 
<laughs> what in the world are we doing? No, we're not making God happy. Some people complain about grocery bills. Matter of fact, probably all of us. Have you ever noticed the price of food lately? <laughs> oh man, it just keeps going up every time. Uh, I'll remind you of this. More than 10,000 people die of starvation every day. What would you say? 10,000 people die every day for starvation. Millions more suffer from malnutrition. You've seen the pictures. Some people complain about the high cost of rent or houses, house payments. Um, you go to Calcutta and you'll see pavement dwellers. They dwell on the pavement. They don't pay rent. They don't have to pay. Their, their rent's not going up. They don't have anything they have to pay for. They're born and they live and they die in that on that pavement. The only thing we have to worry about um, is the next day is is the Lord still going to be here? <laughs> and that doesn't matter. Matter of fact, that's the best of things that can happen. I mean, I mean, is the Lord going to come back? Are we still going to be here? The only thing that they have to worry about really is can they find a rag enough to put underneath their heads so they can go to sleep? All sorts of horrors going on all across the world. We throw tantrums because we got seated at a table in a, in a poor place in the restaurant. In a fancy restaurant, we got seated in, a, in one of the worst places it could be. Uh, we grab about our monthly debts. You got problems, but what are those problem, problems relative to? Huh? See, the, the mood of the mob is to complain. That's really the rule of thumb. And it catches on. You know, one person complains and another person's complaining and all of a sudden they're just going like this and that, back and forth. Yeah, yeah, you don't know. Hey, you, you should have seen what happened at work, what they did there, you know. Look, uh, the culture that we live in feeds the sin of discontent. We are discontented people. That's the society that we live in. It rubs off on us. And that's why we come here to be refreshed. Because we can say, I want to get out of this cycle of complaining. I know I do it. I'm tired of it. I know it's not right. It's not pleasing God. I know that. Remember Lamentations 3.39. Why should any mortal being or anyone offer complaint in view of his sins? Just look at yourself. Don't look at the other person. Just look at yourself and realize I have enough sin in my own life to worry about. Why am I bothering worrying about them? I'll pray for them. We need to be praying for others, but what do we have to complain about? I ask you this day, do we have anything to complain about? No. Okay, now we go on to the next word. Yeah, we do have nothing to complain about. Dennis, you're moving really slow in this. And we're not going to get done here today if we don't move along. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. This sets it all up, though. This, this, because this defines what the rest of, of it's about. The word here for disputings is dialogismos. I'm going to, I'm going to say it. Dialogismos. Dialogue. Uh, to dialogue. You've got something going on here, uh, to, uh, a conversation back and forth. It means to 
question or be a critic. To bring forth criticism. Disputing. That's the idea. So it's a little different because it's an inner reasoning that's going on in your own mind. It's complaining in your mind and in your heart. And that's why we get this idea of our English word dialogue. It's like talking with yourself. If grumbling is an emotional thing, these deep guttural sounds of moaning and murmuring happen, there's an intellectual moaning going on in, the, in this head. It's like a, arguing with yourself. You know what? I don't deserve that. I'm going to take care of my own back. Maybe it's even arguing with God in our own minds. Lord, this isn't right. This isn't right. Your Word says it's not right, and I know it's right, and uh, not, it's not right, and everybody else knows it. It's just not right. So therefore, why is this happening to me, Lord? Why is this, Lord, why is this happening to me? Why is, why is this happening? This isn't fair. That's complaining against God. You're saying it in your mind, nobody even hears it. You're thinking, this this just isn't fair. This is not right. Well, what Paul is really trying to get at is that both of these things, the emotional grumbling and the intellectual disputing that we can have in our own minds, debating with ourselves, debating with God, they all flow from pride. They flow from your own sin of pride. Sinful questioning is very wrong. Now, take this back to the Philippians. They were amongst the people uh, who were very intelligent. They had philosophers. And um, they're ones who particularly followed Aristotle, for instance. They were filled with such a pride. They had the mind and the intellect that God had given them, and they had a debating spirit. So they'd sit in the marketplaces all day long and debate this and debate that and the other thing. It was worthless nonsense is what it was. But they took pride in their ability to be able to dispute. We love to dispute. To argue against whatever it is. To complain. uh, To murmur. And this thing was epidemic in the city of Philippi. And he knows that. He knows the nature of man. He says, that's what's happening here. Paul's writing to them. I wonder, I wonder this. Do we ever complain against God? Do we ever do that? God asks us perhaps to do something. We know what what His Word says. Maybe one of God's servants asks us to do something. That thing's really going to cost us. It's going to cost us time. It might cost us gas money to get over there where they, a need is. Um, I have precious time here and I, I can't waste that. Um, we begin to feel that there's a price in this. There's a price that you have to give up. Uh, there's, there's this pride here. It's giving up self. Do we grumble? Do we say in our minds here, well, why should I? It's not fair. Huh. Why should I? What really Paul is impressing on us here is, hey folks, This is what you're supposed to do. Paul's in prison. That's not fair. But he's suffering for Christ. For Christ's sake, the Gospel's sake. Look in James 5, verse 9. 
Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Oh boy, that convicting. Don't complain. Remember, the judge is there. Uh, man, uh, fear and trembling, the Word of God. If we're reading this and we're listening to this, we're going, oh wow, he, he really is. Lord, thank You for speaking to me here. First uh, Peter 4.9 Be hospitable to one another without complaint. That's it. Now, folks, we get to go on to point number two. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. But we're moving on to something that's positive. We're trying to get to this joy thing because we're all recognizing our problem. And boy, we can find a lot of things to complain about. If you want to start with this church, boy, you could find a thousand things wrong with this church. The individuals in it. Look at it. Look what they do. do look, look what they don't do. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Or you could say, I wonder what I can do. I wonder what the Lord has in mind that I can be helpful to this situation because we're all prone to this. Now that's not natural, is it? But that's the way we are to think. We, you know, thinking is a lost art today. Thinking is saying, okay, but here's the Word of God and I must respond to what the Word of God says. I'm going to go off of my thinking that's filled with the Word of God and the Spirit of God that will respond in a way that will honor God and please Him. I don't want to turn into another complainer. We've had a lot of complainers in this church down through the years because every church does. I'm not picking on our church. Every church has the complainers. We all know about them. That's why there's such things as splits. And people say, okay, I've had enough of that. I don't like what that is, and I'm going to go to another church. That's mighty nice and easy and convenient to do that in our times. Because you can right, go right down to the church down, uh, down the street and go there. I mean, I preach the Word, but hey, I feel a little more comfortable here. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It, uh, matter of fact, they probably wouldn't want you because you're not a perfect person, right? None of us perfect. That's the problem. We need each other so that we can edify each other and make those weak points to be strong points in the Lord. We need each other. Okay, now we get to move on here and we go back to Philippians 2. And what do we have here? Here are the reasons why we are to be hospitable. We're going to move quicker now. Ready? Paul gives us plenty of reasons why we're not to complain. One of them is that we're children of God. So that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. That's a good reason. We're children of God. Who do we represent? God. He wants you to be pure. And He uses the word blameless. He uses the word innocent here. And even the word above reproach. He's saying that those who are children of God show that they are children of God by the way they live. That's how we make an impression on people. Um, We have been adopted into the family of God and we are to show that we're children of God by the way we behave. You show who your Father is when you honor Him. And how do you do that? By your obedience, by your deeds. Blameless, what's the idea of that? It's a life that can't be criticized. 
before others. People see you and people can't even come up with something. And if they do, it's something that they make up. Well, you know, when you get uh, people running for president, people make up all sorts of other things about the other guy. Some of it can be true and they build on it and whatever, you know, but uh, I don't even know how you could be blameless in a, running for office. They're, they'll come up with something, whether it's true or not. Uh, but anyway, the root meaning here means no defect, uh, no kind of blemishes. We're talking a, a, a spiritual purity. Nobody can really point a finger at you, honestly. Hey, I know what he did. I saw him doing this thing, and I saw him doing that thing, right? But and we're not to blame others, but they're not to find any fault in in your life. Uh, the word. Um, we ourselves to be blameless and innocent. Um, the word harmless there, it's undefiled, unmixed, uh, unadulterated. It's like a, a metal that's not an alloy, not any other kind of mixtures in there. Um, you're not to be mixed with the world. You are to be innocent. Don't mix the philosophies of the world, the attitude of the world. Don't bring those into your life. That is adulterated. We're to be different. And we're to seem to be different, that nobody can put a blame on you. You remember when Jesus said, Be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. That's the same kind of word. Or in Romans sixteen nineteen, it's uh, word is translated simple. Paul says that we are to be simple concerning evil. We're not involved with that evil. And then uh, above reproach, it uh, means to be faultless, spotless, uh, blemishless, almost like the other words. Uh, but it's used over and over and over and over and over again. We see it in the Old Testament, the lamb without blemish, right? Then in the New Testament, we think of these kind of words here, Ephesians 5.27. This is to the husband. And, and he says um, in this text, that he might present to himself. Now this is Christ, that he's presenting to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's the church. No spot, no wrinkle. Holy, blameless. That's the idea of what Christ is doing for us right now, that ultimately we will have all of that uh, before God in, in a purity. And so he says, husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. And uh, there is the husband that's to be like Christ in presenting uh, his wife to um, to God, uh, holy. In Romans 12, we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. So we are like a sacrifice to be without spot and blemish, without any kind of stain, totally undefiled. We are what? Children of God. Who are we representing? Who's our Father? We're children of the Father. He is holy. We're to be holy. Now, move on to the next one. We're moving, aren't we? I told you we're going to move real quick. Even quicker. And he says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. We are children of God. And not only are we children, but we are lights. 
or luminaries. That's a pretty good reason not to complain, right? If we're complaining and unbelievers hear about us complaining, it's not going to make an impression upon them. We're to be like light in a wicked, dark world because that's what it is. It is a wicked, dark world. They're going to complain. That's the idea of the world. The system is going to complain and complain and not be content. We have a life together as a little body of Christ and we can show the world that we are content when they, when they see us in interactions relating to one another, expressing and experiencing the grace of God in our lives. We are a witness to the world. Oh, what kind of world is it? Well, it's crooked. Don't expect anything out of the world. Don't expect them to change unless God converts them. Why? Well, they're crooked. <laughs> they are crooked. And the word is scolios. And really, that uh, our English word comes off with something like scoliosis. And everybody knows what that is. A curvature of the spine. That's not a good thing. They're bent out of shape. They're misaligned. That's what the world is. So we shouldn't be surprised when they do the things that we do and then we come back and complain. No, we say, well, why should I be surprised? Yeah, yeah, I should expect that they're going to do this. And so therefore, I have to respond in a different way. Oh, I'm a light to them. While we live in this bent world, we need to be seen so that we can help straighten it out. That We're not going to straighten out the world, but the Holy Spirit working in our lives could help individuals that we see. That they can't understand why you have such a manner about you. Uh, look in Proverbs 2.15. Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs 2.15 talks about wicked, perverse, crooked. Talks about that quite frequently. 2.15 says, whose paths are crooked. He's talking about the evil there. And who are devious in their ways. Their paths are crooked. Of course, they don't have a straight path. Don't expect it till the Lord straightens it out. And it says they're a perverse generation. That means to be severely twisted. To be warped. Right? The world even extends on this crookedness. It goes on to this perverse. It's a twisted, it's a perverted generation. Yeah, the perverts, you hear them on the news nightly. The things that they're doing with little little children. Immoral, twisted, perverted things. The whole culture has deviated away from the very standard of righteousness. It deviates away from God. Distorted, twisted thinking, so convoluted. We can't expect natural man to understand the things of God. Think of 1 Corinthians 2. I used to turn to that a lot. They cannot understand those things of God. They're, they're twisted, they're perverted. Deuteronomy 32 5, go back to the law there. And we get the opportunity, folks, to be lights in this generation that is so dark. But 32.5 says, They have acted corruptly toward Him. They are not His children because of their defect. Look at this. But are a perverse and crooked generation. Does that sound familiar? I wonder if Paul borrowed right out of Deuteronomy as the Spirit is inspiring him. They're children. Children of the devil. They're children of God. They have defects. They're perverse. They're crooked. And guess what? We appear as shining lights in this crooked, perverse, dark world. Our light is to be without murmuring. That's the text. The lost world is watching us. 
and hearing us. Now, there's a philosophy, and, and actually I think it's biblical, but you don't see it in the Bible, but uh, like, is, is your cup half empty or is it half full? It depends on how you look at it, right? How you're taking that. Uh, look at Matthew 5.16. We are light, folks. We can bring light to every situation. Every situation, light can be brought to it. Whenever something evil is happening, we can say, yeah, but I have good news. Here's why the bad news is happening, but I have good news. Matthew 5.16, Sermon on the Mount, a great text. Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If we happen to be complaining and murmuring and going on and on about it, guess what? I'm going to have to bring this thing to a close, folks. We have moved through this. You can think of other places. We're luminaries. Just like the sun, the moon, and the stars, I've got that idea across. We are to shine. Um, Verse 16 of Philippians, holding fast the Word of life. This is the Word of God. The eternal Word of God. We put the Word out to them. We offer it to them. We have that. Non-believers don't have the Word of life, but we can tell them how to get life. It's a very precious truth. It's life. Where does life come from? Well, from God. He is life. Oh, they're complaining about everything. Yeah, but you can come in and bring them good news. You can bring them life. It's the Word of life. The Gospel. It's the Gospel that brings life. We are the lights that God is using us. He's the light in us, but we are that fixture that He's using. And here we go. 17 and 18. This only makes sense now. Look at this. Um, Verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, when He comes back, I'll have reason to glory. I'll have reason to glory because you Philippians, you guys were under my ministry and I I gave you the truth. I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. I'll know that what I did, look what God did working through me to to what happened to you on that day that Christ comes back. And I can glory in that. Glory in, in God. Verse 17, but if, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, a drink offering was uh, like uh, your wine that was poured on after that sacrificial animal was put there and that topped it all off as He poured that drink offering on there. And it, was a, it would be a sweet aroma that would go to the Lord as He was pleased in that sacrifice. And, and the service, they sacrificed. They had service. Paul had reason to be joyful if, when Christ comes back as they had served Christ. And he wanted to see that. Wouldn't you want to see at the judgment seat people that God used you to bring the Gospel to and encourage and edify? Wouldn't you love to see them take root and then grow fruit? And there's the Lord there and He gets the glory. That's what Paul is talking about. That's joy. That's the biggest joy. We're not to complain because we are to be rejoicing. Here's two things you can do. You can either complain or you can rejoice. How are you going to look at it? Is my glass half empty or half full? I know that sounds like positive thinking, but I, you, you have a choice to make and you're responsible for that choice. Uh, Paul had a pastoral heart. I have a pastoral heart. The best thing a believer can do for his leaders and his overseers, apart from praying for him, is to stop complaining, to stop murmuring, to be united, to be able to see that the work of God is in them uh, and that it's profitable. Can I say to you, it's also my business. It's my business as a pastor 
Because at the judgment seat, I am responsible for what I've done for your souls, of how the Word of God has brought from me to you in teaching and preaching and then individually. I'm going to have to give an account of what I've done. Fear and trembling? Yes, it is. And where I've fallen short, I must confess. And where God has used that, I can have a lot of joy. I have a lot of joy over the fact that God has given people who are committed to Christ. And that gives me joy. It is my business, isn't it? I have no greater joy to hear my children walk in truth. That's in Third John. I can't think of a better joy than seeing people walk in His, in his fruit. People being faithful. Uh, and we know that I'm not running this race for nothing. And every one of us should be the same way because we're responsible for other people here too. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way, he says in 18, and share your joy with me. <laughs> Folks, the darkness that we were talking about, all that sin that we have now has transferred over into joy. And you know what? That's the gospel. We sin, but look at what we have. We have great joy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that light shine in us so that we can bring glory to our God. And we will stop murmuring and complaining, won't we? We can start shining and burning for God. Father, You are the great Holy God. We want to be lights as we are children of God, holding forth this word of truth. And so that You would rejoice that I would rejoice, that each one here would rejoice, and other people rejoice, that we'd be shining and burning for God, and our church would be blessed. The world would be blessed. Your leaders would be blessed. All of us would be blessed when we stand at the very judgment seat of Christ according to what You have given to us in this body of Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And on that note... Let's take joy in communing with our Lord.